there's just so much to know about fires. I mean, um, the importance of fire in, in a wilderness situation just can't be understated. It's, mm-hmm. it is, it is so incredibly important in the Northern Boreal. If you have no other skill, but, uh, but good fire making skills, then, uh, that's a real leg up for, for anybody in the wilderness. What is happening? Welcome to Your Forest. I'm Matthew Christoph. And uh, today I brought on Kelly Harleton. Kelly Harleton is actually an old family friend. Uh, I grew up with him teaching me bushcraft skills, teaching primitive skills, how to build fires from nothing and how to build a lean-to and how to uh, all kinds of different stuff. What kind of things you can eat out in the boreal that you wouldn't expect you could eat. Uh all kinds of basic survival skills and advanced survival skills. And I just remember being totally blown away by his knowledge and it's only gotten (laughs) more, you know, he's only become more knowledgeable as time's gone on. Um, I was super happy to get him to come in. We've been going back and forth for like six months to try and narrow down a time, but he's, he's in such high demand to, you know what I mean? Like he could give Lester out a run for his money. I don't know if he'd like me saying that, but I'm going to say it anyways. (laughs) Um, uh, But yeah, it was an awesome conversation. Talked a bunch about, just straight up started out talking about fire. Fire being the number one most important thing to have while you're in you know, in a survival situation because it provides so much. Um, and uh, we've talked, I think, for like a half an hour just about how to get a fire going in the bush. Um, you know, if there's woods wet or whatever, right? It was, it, was, it was really cool. And then from there, we started talking a little bit more about like if you were stuck in the bush for a night or two nights or three nights, um, what are the things that you should be looking for for water or for, uh, for shelter, how to build a fire? Um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was, it was awesome. I couldn't have asked for more from him. Uh, I'm hoping to have him on again, like at least one more time, if not a bunch more times to talk about, like he knows so much about edible plants. Um, knows so much about just bushcraft and, and, and practical, like primitive skills. Right. So it's just really useful stuff. Like he could, I'm sure he's got you know, a hundred ways to light a fire with wet wood or, or like whatever, like <laughs> there's just, there's just so much to learn there. Right. If you guys have watched the, uh, the show survival, man, it's like that. He's that guy. He is like, I'm, I'm sure him and Les Stroud are best friends. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was really cool. I think you guys are going to love it. Um, yeah, Kelly spends a lot, almost, almost all of his time out in the bush, teaching people about survival skills, um, teaching them, just ways to coexist with nature and, 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 you know, use nature's bounty to their benefit. It's, it's awesome. He's a really knowledgeable dude. Um, he's got a bunch of different, uh, programs going on and, and a bunch of different, um, get togethers that he has or that, uh, you know, people that are associated with him have, uh, one really big one that you guys might want to check out is the global bushcraft symposium. Apparently it's, he's trying to create more of a community or I don't know if he's putting it on specifically, but it's, it's being put on and uh, they're bringing in people from practical or sorry, primitive skills from around the world, all coming together to try and learn from one another. Right. It's gonna be really cool. Um, that was one he really wanted me to, to point out to you guys. Also their website, caramat.com. Uh, 
So K-A-R-A-M-A-T.com. So it's tamarackbackwards.com. And uh, yeah, you can reach out to him there. He's got all kinds of courses and all kinds of different things. Um, yeah, at the very end, he gives me all the, I think the three different websites or whatever. And I'll make sure to post those too on the, in the show notes there. So uh, yeah. As for sponsors, same three, GreenLink Forestry. Couldn't do this without the support of GreenLink Forestry. Provide me a space and the opportunity to do this. Forest Resource Improvement Association, also same deal. And uh, Damaged Timber. Damaged Timber is an apparel company right here out of Edmonton, Alberta. And they're supporting environmental sciences through the sale of their clothing. So everything you buy, he takes 10% of that, puts it towards a bursary for environmental students. And uh, yeah, it gives back to the community. And it's a really cool company. He's got awesome hats, toques, t-shirts, all that good stuff. Check them out. DamagedTimber.com. Put in your Forest 10 at checkout. Get 10% off. Yeah. We're good. Let's do this. I'm excited. Uh, I think you guys should be too. Kelly's awesome. Great dude. Like I said, I had to really, we had to really focus to try and narrow down his knowledge into one thing for this episode because it could have went off the rails quickly with so much different stuff. I mean, I had so many other questions while you'll, you'll, you'll notice as he's talking, you'll be getting questions in your head that you have to kind of forget about because he's got too much interesting stuff to say. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Uh, without any further messing around, let's do this. Here's Kelly and I learning about, uh, forest survival, or he doesn't like the word survival forest, getting yourself comfortable for an overnight stay in the forest without any supplies. <laughs> Anyways. All right, here we go. So yeah, I guess like we're just starting off. I, I actually don't know the like background behind how you got into like bush skills and like, like all this different types okay, of survivalness okay, yeah. kind of yeah. stuff. So how did you get into it? Well, as a youth, I was a little bit active in the outdoors, but not a whole bunch until grade six. And then okay. I, I went to a, a, a camp, and uh, a guy by the name of Morris Kohansky, who's quite famous, of course. It's my guru now. But he uh, he took us kids for a walk in the bush. Okay. And it was a couple-hour walk. And in that walk, he showed us all kinds of edible plants and medicinal stuff. And he started off the walk by lashing three sticks together, which was, which is a Roycraft pack frame, right? And throwing some gear on it. And then we walked. And he'd bend over, and he'd say, here, taste this, smell this. And one point, he digs through the moss, and he pulls up a piece of spruce root and fashions a rabbit snare and oh and this goes on and on for a couple hours and and uh, you know i like to say that in, in that couple hours he, it felt like he showed us a hundred things yeah maybe he did and for me at that time it lifted what i refer to as the veil of green so now all of a sudden the forest just wasn't uh just wasn't trees and grass it was this uh intricacy of all this cool stuff oh yeah and i sort of went off the deep end mm-hmm <laughs> and uh, oh, I, oh, I just I just actually started pursuing it. Uh, you know, all my spare time was spent in the bush. I mean, I had a I had a nickname uh, com- uh, coming through school. I was uh, Camper Kelly, is what everybody Camper called Kelly. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's that's where invariably I could and be found. And this is grade it. six that you. And started. this is grade six. Yeah. Uh, fast forward a year later, grade seven, I was already I already had done a solo winter by myself. You know, just one night one night oh, yeah. okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but i mean it's still a you know i think back on that and go what were my parents thinking and i looked at my kids when they're in grade seven and thinking there's not a not a hope in heck that i would ever let them go spend the night in the bush but at different times i guess where, where was this this where was uh, well spruce grove was where i uh, oh, okay. where i was um 
uh, where I sort of grew up for most of my life. But uh, gotcha. there was uh, areas of bush not too far from Shushkov that were uh, that we could hike to where I would get dropped off in some cases. But uh, at least you're not too far from like right, road or right, something. Right, right, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But still, in those days, no comms or nothing like that, no. right? And uh, yeah, so it was. Uh, but but anyway, thought nothing of it. Uh, but yeah, and so you know, over time, I just uh, collected survival manuals and uh, and and uh, you know, of course, got into all types of sports, everything from uh, you know backcountry skiing and backpacking and canoeing and blah blah, blah all the regular stuff, right? Yeah. And hunting and fishing and all those kinds of things. They yeah, they all boded well. And then uh, and then about uh, you know, all of a sudden, when I was about twenty two, I stumbled on a book called bushcraft and 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 i really loved it because it talked about plants that were here and uh and uh the techniques it talked about for uh, bush skills and survival they worked and uh and i was quite impressed with it and one day i was thumbing through the photo supplement in the back and here's a picture of this old guy um that uh, that looked familiar i thought geez I wonder if that's the guy that took us for a walk back in grade six camp. So I looked him up and sure as heck it was. <laughs> he said, yeah, that'd have been me. And so I went to visit him and got my book signed and subsequently took some courses off him. Before that, I'd actually taken some survival courses and I was quite delved into it, of course. And I yeah. became a bit of a, uh, a Tom Browner. I don't know. If some of the listeners out there will know who that is, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't, but <laughs> okay. If you look, if you look up Tom Brown, it's just sort of a more of a I'm going to say a more of a philosophical toucher, touchy feely type of survival guy that oh, okay. is popularized. He's over in New Jersey in the states there, and so heavy into nature awareness and tracking and those kinds of things. And then, but anyway, when I when I got a hold of this bushcraft book. Um, and and again and, and reconnected with Morris while well, I created a relationship, went took all his courses and then and then became one of his instructors after that and then sort of uh, sort of, you know, delved deeply into his strain of uh woodcraft and survival. Yeah. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. that's uh yeah, that's a pretty that's amazing though that at six years old or not six years old, grade six. So how old is that? What's that, twelve or something? Well, I started school when I was five. So was a, which was premature yeah. in my mind, but anyways, so <laughs> so grade two would be six, seven, eight, nine. 10. So I'd been about 10 years old in grade six. So 11 years old would have been my 11 That's to 12. Wild. Yeah. That yeah, you, for... you found your, like your niche. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, young, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I knew when I was that young that like I had a, a passion for the outdoors, I guess, but I, I don't think I realized it's going to be your future. <laughs> no, like I think I knew it was going to be a big part of my life. But yeah, I didn't think yeah. I could find a way to get paid through it. Even though my parents were foresters, it was still like, I, I didn't see myself going that route only right. because it seemed cliche. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, I can't. No, that's yeah, like, yeah. So I went, tried going everywhere else. But like, yeah, the fact that you found that and like you, you I imagine by the time you're 18 years old, you probably already knew more than like, you know, most of the professionals out there, they were working in the forest day to day. Well, it may be, yeah, in a certain realm for sure. Yeah. 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 So when it's your pastime, when it's your hobby, right? You yeah. just, uh, yeah, it's a fun way to collect a lot of information. Yeah. A lot of the listeners out there may not know just, uh, me and, uh, Matthew go back quite a ways. So I've done a lot of work with his, uh, dad and mom and, uh, they were, are both super active with, uh, with outdoor skills and forestry and all kinds of things. Not as much and, as uh, you, but <laughs> yeah, 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 for but sure. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, kind of fun. Coming back to uh, meet this guy again, Matthew. Thanks for thanks for the invite. Yeah, no, I yeah. appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, this is yeah. I, I just thought back of I was thinking about for a while, but trying to find somebody to talk about survival skills because I hear people like a lot of mills and stuff will bring on summer students and they want to teach them. They don't want to have to worry about them when they're right, out by themselves right, right, yeah. in the middle of nowhere, northern Alberta, right? And uh, 
it just kind of came up. I'm like, well, who could I ask? And then it's like, you're the first thing that popped in my head. Right? Right, that's right. perfect. Yeah. Like, I know yeah, a guy. Yeah. This oh, is yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's like no, my own personal Les Stroud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Memory flashes back just with thinking about your dad there. You know, when times were lavish in the last go around, uh, quite often the woodlands groups and stuff would get me out to beach courses. But your dad gets the distinction of um, we were doing uh, some firelighting competitions and they, they had to use their ferro rods and we were doing signal fires and uh not signal fires i'm sorry it was just a yeah regular fires but they had to get a the race was no no it actually was signal fires that's right because we were timing a column of smoke that's right column of smoke that had to clear the trees that's that's the oh, game okay and uh so standing like a ways from right the, okay. right he started away from the fire and they had their ferro rods and i let them go and ferro rod. what's a ferro a ferro rod, rod is a is a ah, another name for it is a metal match or a fire steel or a or a, like a, flint a fer- steel? Fer- ferrocerium rod well when you say flint steel you have to be careful there's a bit of a misnomer there usually when you say flint and steel it's literally a steel and a piece of rock and that's a separate skill and thing we do thing we do so so we prefer to say uh like a, a fire steel or a metal match or a oh. ferrocerium rod is the full name or ferro rod for short i didn't know that okay. Okay. yeah yeah okay. but they're they're sold all over and they're different well, that's what we're talking about like but, the thing you can get but, like a more knife and it's got the the rod in there right and you can right bingo the yeah knife yeah, on it. yeah yeah some have them built in or it's a separate accessory you can buy right for fire steering. but anyways yeah so uh so uh, I showed them all these tips and tricks and things uh, and, and let them go gather all their own um, materials and tinders and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. and your your dad did it upright because uh, from the time that he struck the uh, ferro rod to the time that he – because the idea was they had to uh, run a short distance, jump over a log, and, of course, they've got their tinder materials in hand, light their tinder materials and establish their signal fire and get a column of smoke up to the treetop level. And uh, he was the, his column of smoke was sub-30 seconds. I think that's still oh, one really? of our records. I never have told him that, eh? But that's still, I think, one of our all-time records that's for column of smoke. And so did he, like, have a – did they have all their tinders ready yes. to go? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but he paid it very close attention. He used yeah. one trick I use, which is uh, smearing uh, balsam sap on fine twigs because they become – extraordinarily fun. It, the, the issue is to find something that'll light and establish quite well with a ferrocerium. You know, lots of things will light, but some things are a little bit troublesome. But So you right. want something that'll basically almost flash up like gasoline. And, right. and he'd, he'd paid attention and buttered a bunch of um, <laughs> fine spruce twigs with uh, balsam sap. So he was right. he was ready to go. And, That's yeah. a cool one, yeah. Well, I think, and a lot of people probably don't even know what that is. Like the So just you're basically just taking a piece of steel onto this whatever it's a magnesium rod or i don't know what it is and just you create a bunch of sparks right yeah yeah that's what lights yeah some some have have our dual they've got magnesium and a and a a piece of ferrocerium the magnesium is actually the flammable part on those Mm. styles but you know you're exactly right so you're you're creating sparks by uh, running a piece of steel down uh down uh well the the compound is actually ferrocerium that's that's the that's the compound and so it's it it creates a uh, sparks that are 2000 degrees essentially when oh, you uh yeah. and the harder you push the harder the spark and yeah and uh the more sparks you get and the more sparks yeah. you get so, right. but you need something it's not like i'm using a match or a, or a lighter where you can hold it there for a few seconds and wait for the paper to catch like you have to have something that's like ready to right combust, right well it was right? sort of yeah i mean uh, over time you learn little tips and tricks like mm-hmm. you can actually um you know you can you you can cheat it a bit by doing things like um uh, if you're really careful and you scrape off uh, some of your ferro rod, that um, that uh, and don't and don't let it ignite, so you're just essentially making shavings of ferrocerium, and then you get aggressive with your rod, then you actually can in turn light the little 
pieces of ferrocerium, uh, which in turn will ignite something just like a match, right? So you because do it, it really it, slow, probably to get it, those exactly, exactly. Off. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're trying to, you know, and if it, if it flashes up on you, oh crap, you got to start up, start over again. But you know, a lot of the commercial um, fire starting mech, uh, systems out there have magnesium, which is, and that's what you do is you scrape the magnesium off and in turn light the magnesium. But but a little known trick is that uh, yeah, your your ferrocerium rod itself will do it right. without magnesium because it the ferrocerium filings are quite uh, flammable too so yeah 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 yeah. yeah. i think that's like one of the big skills that i think a lot of i mean i take for granted because i had like i had like yourself and my parents and junior forest wardens to teach me those like basic survival skills right and now to me it's just basic nature but the number of times that i've gone out to like a friend's cabin or something right and i see them like oh let's have a fire and they throw like a piece of wet aspen into the fire pit with some gasoline and <laughs> yeah. light it I'm like, jesus what are you doing like what is this yeah. right like oh, it's yeah. not lighting i don't get it there's gas on it like what's the problem yeah. like Ooh. yeah so like it's those those weird skills of like learning to build up small dry material yeah. and yeah. slowly build up to bigger stuff right like it's it's it seems basic to you and i but i mean yeah. i mean you're used to teaching people how to do this right but right although <laughs> you just saying that i mean you know as i get saltier and older i'm realizing there's so <laughs> many ways to skin the cat i mean i've changed my whole fire psychology over the years like uh mine's my guru more is of course he says you can't even apply for your fire badge till you're at least 38 years old because just there's just so much to know about fires i mean um, the importance of fire in, in a wilderness situation just can't be understated. It's mm-hmm. it is it is so incredibly important in the northern boreal. If you have no other skill but uh, but good fire making skills, then uh, that's a real leg up for for anybody in the wilderness. But yeah. but having said that, though, uh, yeah, you know, you, you think about fires and like the, the the valid way is you betcha you start small and graduate and go big. But on the other hand, there's so many other, there, there's other angles to take with fire. And so the actually the more common one that we use now is uh no it's exactly the opposite of that you skid your biggest fuel over and you arrange it in a big parallel file pile rather okay. uh arm span uh length for the wood is is preferable if you're if you're like heating a shelter or whatever or for a group yeah uh because we find the parallel log fire uh does about uh about Oh, 90% of what you need to do in the bush. I mean, it's adequate for a lot of things. You can use it for cooking and sleeping by and, and standing around and all kinds of things. It's a very universal fire lay. But also it tends to really want to burn well, particularly when it's laid uh, parallel to the wind. Right. Uh, so, so you're talking about like the like the log cabin type thing? No, no. Okay. They're just literally parallel log fi- parallel logs. So okay. so no tools needed even if you don't have tools. You just push over some dead logs and skid them up and put them parallel. If you drop them and break them into sections, great. But if they don't break, that's okay too. Yeah. As long as it's uh, if you can if they're small enough to break between two trees, great. But often they're not. And if you've got an axe or saw, great. But if you don't, that's not a barrier. So you just skid them over and you literally. Start with uh, three or maybe four logs laid down parallel, and then you put three logs on top of there, so it's sort of making a bit of a pyramid. Okay. And that's it. And then what you do is you go get a copious amount of kindling. This is the crucial step. <laughs> so in on our uh, ecology, we're super lucky because we have think we have uh, ways of getting copious amounts of uh, kindling. Examples being, uh, you know, we can obviously uh, quickly make a whole pile of feather sticks if you've got a sharp knife and, and you just break some uh, straight grain material down. But even easier if we're in a conifer ecology, just grab a couple hug-sized bundles of tw- or one good hug-sized bundle of twigs. Yeah, and that's it. You're done. You light that bundle of twigs, which can usually, if you know what you're doing and how to dress that bundle, you can light it with a half a paper match. Yeah. Or you can easily start it with a ferro rod if you butter a couple twigs or use a small amount of birch bark or anything, just some something that you can easily ignite to get the twigs going. Right. And you get that twig bundle established, and you lay it on your 
pyramid of logs. On top. And, and, yep. And actually, you hit coal establishment way faster than you would huh. had you started small and gone the other way. Because what happens is the little burning shards of um, twigs fall down in between the parallel logs. Uh-huh. And every time a coal falls and it lands where it's spanning, where it's being cradled between the two logs, it actually creates coal establishment with those two logs. And those, so, so basically what I show people is I, I, in front of their eyes with no tools, I just go skid a couple logs up and in a couple of minutes grab an armful of uh, uh, a copious amount of kindling, a, a, a twig bundle in most cases, light it, get it established, set it on the pyramid of logs. I'm calling it a pyramid because it's um, three or four logs on the bottom and then two or three logs on top. So it's just a right. simple pyramid. And they're all parallel. And they're all parallel. Yeah. Uh, you know, your finger spacing is perfect. And if you try and put them as tight as you can, they'll likely be about a finger spacing because there's a little knot or bump or irregularity between them that naturally makes them sort of space. Yeah. And then I'll light it and I'll walk away and I'll say, you guys don't do nothing for two hours. You don't have to touch that fire. You don't have to feed it any wood. Huh. You're, it'll boil your morning coffee and then cook your breakfast and it'll warm you for several hours. There's not, there's, it's just, there's nothing to do. I've struck a match and established the bundle and, and, and walked away. And, it's just, and, and, the, and this, all this kindling is just sitting on top of this yep, pile. Yep. And it's just slowly burning and falling. Like, not slowly. That When you light that bundle, you've got to take about three steps back because it's ferociously burning, but it's making, it's it's dropping all these little burning shards of coals, I'm going to say. And, yeah. And it's, and now, so, and you look at, and you look at this carefully, thinking about this top. So here's all the advantages. Deep snow. Yeah. You build this fire right on top of deep snow. Yeah. Um, you, you, um, and 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 if you and if, and you if you want it to burn really long, you don't have to start it in the middle. You can start it on one end, and then you can get even some more longevity out of it. Um, you can uh, the, you can size the logs up to any size you want. So the burn time of your fire is directly proportional to the size of your logs. So if you want to use hug sized logs and skid those over, <laughs> you've got an all night fire essentially. And because uh, for every inch of diameter, you know that gives you just about another hour of burn time. So so uh, okay. so and 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 you can scale it right down small if you want to use wrist thick material because you just want some nice coals for cooking and stuff like that. You can use the exact same strategy. Well, let's take that strategy now and let's put it in your fireplace at home. Don't screw around with your fireplace at home. Just make sure you have copious amounts of kindling and you put your little blocks of firewood in parallel. If you want, you can put a couple end-to-end to elongate the fire, but, but you don't have to. So yeah. you put three down, then you put two on top of that, and you put some, a, 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 this is the key, a fair amount of kindling on top of that and light it and walk away. And your fire will coal yeah. establish and get burning. There's nothing to do. Now, when I say kindling, that it has to be kindling that will aid coal establishment. That doesn't mean paper. That doesn't mean birch bark because the issue with those types of kindlings is they don't really create coals. They fl- right. sort of flash off and you're left with nothing. Yeah. So those things you would use more for, I'm going to call it an accelerant to get your copious amount of kindling going. Right. Right. But And, and where you would use that is now let's look at some adverse weather conditions. So it's been raining for three weeks and so the logs you get well, maybe you found some vertical standing stuff that's pretty good, but they're still quite damp on the outside. And maybe the twig bundle of uh, spruce you've collected is quite damp and won't just readily light with a match. Well, this is where you start to use strategies like uh, well, weather fire starting strategies like like the balsam sap and the birch bark and the red needles and the resin, the yeah. resin globules and things like that, because that's your accelerant. Those all things all establish very quickly and then create enough heat where they in turn will start to ignite the wet twigs, which in turn start to burn ferociously and establish the coals on the big logs. Right. So when I say you take this to your other applications, yeah, for sure. So your fireplace at home, your wood stove and your outfitter tent, put all your big fuel in first, 
Lay it flat and parallel on the bottom. Man, I wish we'd done this this podcast <laughs> two weeks ago. I just got back from El Camp, uh, and we're just, and we're sitting there. You know, it's minus two in the middle of the night, and you're just wanting that fire to keep going all night, right? Yeah. And of course, we'll we'll turn down the damper on the on the airtight, and we'll stuff a bunch of birch in there, and just like so it burns slow, right? But right. we still it wasn't really like it doesn't. You need. Yeah. You're better off to figure out a way to get it to burn efficiently, but longer, because then it throws way more heat. Yeah. The smolder, the issue with the smolders, of course, is burning very inefficiently, and it's uh, plugging up your chimney and creating all kinds of uh, creosote and soot. And so, yeah. if you can figure out strategies to actually have it burning more lively but longer, then then you then you get a lot more heat and, and that's burn the key way cleaner. Having this parallel, parallel, larger mm-hmm. fuel. Yeah, you can go fairly large and. Um, and then you can also use it in your firebox if you're the you know lots of canoe campers and stuff. I use a firebox for cooking, which is just a tin box. And but same thing, lay all your big fuel on the bottom. Fill the fill the bottom. Yeah. Little bush cookers, little uh, bush cooker. If you watch some of my videos, yeah, I, I actually stuff it completely with big solid material in the bottom, and then I top light the little things. Yeah. And they get coal established. And when I light a bush cooker, it burns for an hour. I don't add anything. I I boil my water and cook cook my meal, and I don't add any fuel. And the and the things just just uh, I'm holding my hands uh, in a in a ten centimeter circle. That's how big my that's how big my bush cooker is. Right. So the same, the same top light mentality works for a lot of things. Too. Yeah. I mean, it's still valid to go the other way. Like the like the example of where you would go the other way. So in a tedious fashion, you start with small tinder and then move to kindling. Mm-hmm. Kindling is something that'll light with a flame at the count of five. By the way, that's your that's how if you're trying to decide the line between tinder tends to tinder a, a, a spark or a flame or a coal and make it big enough that it in turn can light kindling if anybody's wondering. So sometimes you can dispense with kin- with tinder and go straight to kindling, but in trying conditions, you tend to use so tinder, kindling, and then fine shavings, and then matchstick, and then pencil thick, and then finger thick, and then so in trying conditions, you you may really try to graduate your fire. Yeah. And but and the only reason I would use that strategy is if I if I didn't have a copious amount of kindling, because mm. why would I screw around with that when it, I can build a fire in minutes in any yeah. condition if you providing that I have that little key and that's and that we have that leg up in the board. The boil wants to burn. Oh yeah, and that's that's why that's why we have. I mean, everybody, you know, fire in the boreal with the, you know, we, it's usually when we go for a walk in the boreal, it, it doesn't take us very much effort to point out about twelve excellent, reliable fire starters in the boreal, which yeah. is pretty amazing. You think even about after that. rain, and yeah, stuff. exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. So yeah, but people are trying to find that kind of stuff. Like, I think a lot of people. So like you were talking about the, for example, the the sap, right? Mm-hmm. Balsam fir sap. Mm-hmm. So uh, the same work for like spruce and pine sap. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the re- uh, in fact, that's like the issue with resin, like harder resins from, you know, I mean, you can find it runny yeah. and actually butter and it works excellent but but more typically on a on a on a spruce and a pine what happens is the sap exudes and then sets up hard into resin yeah. but that's totally fine there's two strategies one is one is you take just pure resin and it takes a little bit to light so you have to so you have to like there's some tricks you can use what Morris does is he makes a knife edge on the edge. on the resin and then it tends to light on that knife edge a little better and it doesn't like wind so, so you're just creating uh, like a a surface for it to like kind of sit in or up Instead of having a flat surface to try and start it on, you're trying to create an edge. Well, the, the issue is you, you break a piece of resin off. It's it's usually roundish or square, and so right. you, so the surface area you're trying to light. I mean, it, it lights fine, but it usually takes some persistence to light resin, mm-hmm. and it doesn't like wind. So every light, fire lighting technique has its advantages and disadvantages. So the disadvantage of using resin is it doesn't like wind, but the advantage is that it can't soak up water, and once it's established. It drips napalm on whatever it is that you're flaming napalm on whatever you're trying to light. Yeah. So now you've got a questionable twig bundle, 
And that's in some ways better than balsam sap because balsam sap is quite tedious to collect and butter twigs. I mean, it'll get the fire going, but it yeah. doesn't sustain. Whereas you light a big chunk of resin off a spruce or pine and the thing burns for five or 10 minutes and it drips uh, molten burning sap on, on the material you're trying to ignite. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so there's two strategies. That's one is the hard resin proper, but very often what we look for on the lee dried, dry side of a tree is we look for um, uh, sap that is striated with bark. Okay. Because the bark sort of acts as the wick, if you will, and the resin acts as the candle wax, if you will. So the combination could be quite excellent. So it lights a little bit easier. And, um, but, but once you get it established, it actually burns quite robustly and predictably. And uh, it's a great way to uh, to get a fire going. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That mm-hmm. no, makes perfect sense because that's. I think that's a lot of the uh, people. There are a lot of the things that people struggle with is trying to light in like during the rain, right? Because that's yeah. when people want a fire, right? When yeah. it's when of it's snowing course, or it's raining course. or whatever. Easy to light a fire a, when you don't need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like oh, it's a nice sunny thirty <laughs> yeah. degree day. Like I I don't want a fire, but it'd be really easy to make one. Yeah. yeah. But so like uh, so like what are some strategies for collecting? Uh, like dry wood or dry tinder or dry mm-hmm. kindling mm-hmm. in like say like a totally it's been raining for three weeks yeah. Yeah. situation in the boreal yeah yeah well we're again it's you only you, i mean you can't tell me all of them i'm just saying right like, right a right couple oh, no, for ones, sure right? for yeah. sure for sure some really crucial things some uh so it's funny if it's all about shopping go shopping spend a good spend more time shopping than just don't grab what you find first right uh, take a little time go a little further go a little deeper in the bush pick a bigger a bigger spruce tree a bigger pine with more lee side and it's amazing after several days of rain how you can still find these little pockets your test is will a twig snap and if they will then you then then that's a real leg up being able to find for instance uh, dead dry twigs yeah but there's lots of other places to find stuff that, that'll be dry too our uh, our go-to in our ecology is always uh, dead dead standing right and when we're shopping for dead standing optimum is you go into the big conifer and very often it's just the way that the forest uh, succession works you'll often find um dead standing trees nestled in the branches right growing right next to a big conifer yeah when you see those don't 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 harvest those for firewood leave those for emergency because that's mm. that's when when times are troublesome that's that's such a go-to everybody right. takes that and goes oh wow look at this dead standing thing nestled in this uh in the big branches of the spruce i'm gonna pull it down and cut it up it's usually gorgeous straight grained uh something and it's usually uh, bone dry and but yeah. no that's your that's your go-to but but even even uh even if it's not nestled in a big conifer just it, it doesn't take Unless an area is really heavily picked over a firewood, you can usually, with a fair amount of ease, find something that's at least wrist thick and dead standing and straight. Yeah. Um, the wetter the weather, the more important it is to realize that perfectly vertical is the best. Slightly leaning is getting worse. Leaning even more is worse. Horizontal is bad, and laying on the ground is the absolute worst. So the amount of moisture that a dead standing tree collects when it's vertical as opposed to slightly leaning is quite surmountable so so you're shopping for completely vertical and you're shopping for the the uh, top of the tree intact that's another place moisture gets in if it's broken off then you'd be surprised at the amount of moisture that works its way into the wood from the top Mm -hmm. Uh, but the but the fun is that again no tools like you can push uh, something wrist thick or even bigger Generally, the roots are starting to rot, but oh, the wood yeah. itself is very sound. So you push it over, go take it between two trees, yeah. pry it, and guess what? You splinter out the guts of this wood and the dry internals, yeah. and you can make. Uh, this is where one of the skills we teach becomes very important, and that's a uh, you know three quarters of the reason that you carry a knife in the boreal in a survival situation. Believe it or not, is for fire starting. Yeah, and so you still have the ability to make the 
copious amounts of kindling I was talking about. Yeah. And so with a little bit of practice, you can make gorgeous uh, uh, shavings and, or, or better yet, feathers and feather sticks because they, they, uh, it's easier to lay them and they, and they, and you, they don't hit the ground, right? And yeah. And, um, and so yeah, feather so sticks that, just being really thin shavings. Lo- exactly. Wood, Long, right? yeah, properly yeah. made feather stick. It's, you got to be careful because you look at a lot of survival manuals and, and you can tell a lot about the person that wrote the manual by their rendition of what a feather stick is. Yeah. So uh, the feather sh- ordinarily should be nice, long, feathery, four-curl, paper-thin feathers. Yeah. Literally, not fuzz, but feathers. And then depending on the fire lays you like to use, there's different ways to lay your uh, feather sticks. But very often, they should be at w- all collected at one end of the stick and only on one side. Uh. Because there's some specific ways that we use the feather sticks to optimize. But again, there is other techniques. So there is other ways to make feathers and feather sticks and shavings. But for the most part, that that's that's the idea. Is if when, when you lack, when you, you know, as your go-to, like not just here, uh, coastal... I'm starting to do some work with the Canadian Rangers and the mm-hmm. rainforest, and boy, I'm learning some hard fire lessons there. That is one challenging ecology to get a fire going when she's wet. But their whole leg up is exactly that. They, you know, the beautiful straight grained uh, cedar and cedar bark, and most importantly, yeah, the resins and the saps there uber important for getting fires going i don't know what yeah. they do without it like i don't know how you'd even get a fire going there a lot of times really? without yeah. without having so some of those accelerants yeah, yeah just so much moisture in mm-hmm. there yeah mm-hmm. no, that makes sense and they have other advantages too like their trees are so big when they finally start to deteriorate and rot you can actually dig into the rotten trees and the rotten stumps and they're so big that moisture doesn't make it to the center yeah. so you often have this gorgeous number one fat wood that you can get to in the center yeah. which we have access to fat wood here of course too but also um which is another go-to besides resin. It's one of our twelve, one of our twelve uh, good fire starters. But you can dig into the center of the stump and and pull out this bone, tinder dry bone, punky rotten wood that that will sometimes even catch a that light with a ferro rod or definitely often easily light with a match and those yeah. kinds of things. So as as challenging as an ecology as it is, they do have some real leg ups too. Do you want to explain what fat wood is? Fat wood, yeah. So when a tree dies in a certain way, often the the uh, sap doesn't volatize it actually sets up as uh, resin in the layers of wood so so what we're looking for is uh, often you'll find it in a dead stump so the tree dies and and some of the sap may actually run down into the stump i'm not sure but the point is that the the sap is trapped in the wood and it dies and you'll always know it's easy to find because what happens is you go to a stump and start kicking it apart and the part that doesn't rot it's the shards that are upright in the stump are likely fatwood because it's been preser- naturally preserved by the by the sap content. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so okay. that's that's one place. Another place we get it is from the cat faces a pine. When when a t- when a pine gets injured, what it does is it it uh, it peels its bark back a bit, which is kind of counterintuitive, and it injects resin into the wood. And, and lets it set up. That's its band-aid. So you'll notice on a pine when it gets injured, it creates what's called a cat face. Mm-hmm. And it's very often white. And that's, for us, a real easy, identifiable source of fatwood because you just take an axe or a saw or even your knife and you can uh, chisel away a big chip. And then Of the you, actual wood, not the bark. Of the actual wood, exactly. Yeah. The white. Yeah. It usually... It usually um, bleaches into sort of a white grayish color so yep. it even stands out a bit and then if you look at the grain carefully you'll see it's alternating layers of wood resin wood resin wood resin and it should smell very turpentiney and the wood's basically waterproofed because is because of the resin uh-huh. so now that so now yeah this is just just like just like the resin off the trees but even better because yeah. now it's mixed with wood and so it's much much easier to light yeah and uh it lights with a spark in fact you can yeah so oh. it's it's actually a, a a real valuable fire lighting skill that makes sense yeah, yeah. 
I've never even thought about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can sometimes get it from the spruce, but when a spruce gets injured, it, it heals in a different way. It actually starts to exude more gummy, gooey sap, and the bark starts to roll in. So, mm-hmm. so, But sometimes you'll see a small cat face exposed. That, and it ap- actually works 100% excellent. It's just not as reliable to find a, an exposed cat face not on a spruce easy. or a pine. Or on a spruce, rather, as opposed right. to a pine, yeah. Yeah, like building a fire. Like that's one of those ones that, yeah, there's like so many different ways to do it, I guess, right? But like oh, yeah. just be having the like the basic knowledge of how to collect. I think the beginning is how to collect mm-hmm, these, mm-hmm. Like, you know, the parts that go into it, and making sure that you can find a dry spot, this dry space, and dry wood, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm trying to think about how what we want to get into. I feel like I got to get you in like five times. Talking <laughs> <this stuff. laughs> oh, what can I do? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thinking. So, so you're in a situation, like, let's just, let's just create a situation. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're working in the bush, you, you have a quad, mm-hmm. right? Um, you get stranded, you don't have cell phone service, you don't have, so you can't get out, right? And it's, let's say it's whatever, it's 20 miles back to the truck, right? So yeah, you don't have time to walk back there tonight. You got to spend the night in the bush, at least maybe two nights, right? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the first thing you do? Well, my, my my hope is that anybody that enters the boreal has some level of preparation, of course. You'd hope so. Yeah. But I don't think that's always the case. <laughs> yeah, it's not always the case. It's not always the case. But you don't have to have a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, sometimes we complicate things. Uh, I, I don't like the word survival because what survival means is it's your ability to persevere and not die. And and withstand pressures, uh, pressures to your body and those kinds of things. I like to think more of as how can we, how can we get quickly and easily get comfortable? And so, uh, depending on the weather, uh, my, my, my first thing is always, yeah, fire. Uh, without even batting eyelash because it solves a whole bunch of problems if the mosquitoes are bad if it's uh if uh, if you're wet uh if you're cold um uh, um, uh you know one of the things like really really simply physiologically all we need to do to be relatively comfort comfortable is stay warm and hydrated and when you think in those terms now you can start to plan what you need to do gotcha. there's, there's 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 the ugly sister i want to talk about and that's getting sleep yeah, yeah. So, so if you're warm and hydrated and you get sleep, well, you'll come out of the bush looking rosy. Like there's really nothing else. There's yeah. nothing else. You you don't. And, and so when you think, I know it seems to like it seems simplistic to think in those terms, but why complicated it? But or why make it more complicated than it needs to be? So now when you're thinking in those terms and you break down on your quad, well, that's that's your goal. The big issue uh, with staying hydrated is you need the ability to melt snow. And uh, unfortunately, in this day and age, with our waterways, uh, purify water in most cases. Not always. There's some tips and tricks where you can get out of that. But, but, uh, but for the most part. So usually that involves some kind of container or some creativity. I mean, there's lots of things you can do. So this is this is one of the weak weaknesses of uh, a lot of survival kits out there, or things. The one thing that you're not going to be packing very often is so stupid. It just has to be a container. Yeah. Oh, if your water bottle's metal, there's a container. You can use a two-liter water. Bo- plastic water bottle and melt water. It's not pretty, but you can uh, boil water. I don't know what you're getting for uh, chemicals out of the plastic, but you can use that. <laughs> you can fashion containers from plastic, and and there's ways to hollow out logs with coals, and you can do all kinds of fancy things. But it's sure a lot easier to carry a pot. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. but if you don't have a pot, there's lots of strategies too. I mean, you can uh, you can fill a sock with snow and hold it near the fire and and uh, try and have something underneath that can catch the drippings, or you can uh, you can actually eat snow very very safely and totally hydrate, providing that you have the heat calories to uh, spare. Warm. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. As long as you now, if you have a fire going, 
well now you don't you've got an external heat source now you have the heat calories to spare so you can stay hydrated yeah so back to the beginning so we're on our quad we've broken down May, uh, let's make it even worse it's getting close to nightfall so we know we're not going to be uh, so we're obviously going to have to camp we're not going to try and walk out or whatever or we, we might try to walk out but we're, we're probably more we're smarter to stay put yeah particularly if somebody knows that we're missing right um then and and, and that's always an important part of the master plan if you haven't if nobody knows where you are that's then you and you've uh, <laughs> you know been deficit on something that's pretty darn important yeah uh so the emphasis in the boreal is again i said hydrated and warm so Fire is all important because not only is it your source of, uh, well, everything. Yeah. If, if you have a container, don't have a container, whatever, it's still how you're going to melt snow and or or a purifier water and or keep warm and or keep the bugs away and or dry. Do, yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah. Like it's just a, even psychologically. Psychologically uh, so, is a big one too, right? Huge. That's a huge. big one. Just uh, having a fire psychologically just i think it just calms us and makes us feel safe just that alone big big time right <laughs> you wouldn't believe i mean guys come up to me candidly and tell me they're scared shitless of spending time in the bush alone and it's because this and it's usually because of like you know they they, they still as much as they know and understand things about bears and cougars and wolves they still it has a high uh you know it's low actual risk but 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 a high perceived risk yeah but you know the reality is Nothing's going to come through a fire to get you, I guess, is you could say it that way. Right. So, so you can at least give yourself that relief. Yeah. Uh, that you know, if you, you know, if, so even for, if it's perceived protection, it's pro- it's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I that we really that I like to see people focus on is uh, well, so 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 the fire gives you two things. It usually gives you some form of hydration if 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 required. If you're not, uh, you know, if you're not packing, you it's can important to it. boil too, because like in northern Huge. Alberta, there's a lot of bad stuff in that water that you can get you right you, you can bet. get lucky you, you drink bet. some water out of a moose track you might be okay right, right, but like, right. you might also not be okay well and i mean again there's strategies snow safe yeah. and so some um, well a trick we teach people is if you're in a if you're in the boreal and you're close to uh to uh, uh, uh sphagnum bogs you can pull sphagnum and and the water from sphagnum is um is uh, totally safe to drink. It is, eh? Yeah, yeah, because so you just lift it up and just drain yep, it in your yep, mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sphagnum. It doesn't grow in. Uh, it's when you pull. You know, when you pull sphagnum out, uh, it's uh, it. The roots are always clean because it grows in water, unlike a lot of other mosses. Right. And uh, and it's actually, well, the way I've had it uh, put to me is it's it's antibacterial to the point of that any bacteria that's harmful to humans can't live in sphagnum. So gotcha. That's why it's such great wound dressing and other things, right? Yeah. Uh, it has lots, of, tons and tons of uses. Sphagnum, of course, but um. But yeah, so you can just simply pick it up and wring it right directly into your mouth, and the water's uh, quite safe. So that's a for people ranging around the bush. That's a find a find a hummock, sphagnum uh, often grows in hummocks. But find a hummock, and you've got uh, you've got some at least some temporary water till you get things figured out. How or would you? Uh, can you think of a simple way to identify? Yeah, that moss. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Number one, it's about the only moss we have that that doesn't. You pull it out, and the roots are clean. It, do, it grows in water. Number two is it's got a, a a rosette on top. It's got a very fluffy rosette when you look at an in, individual span, uh, strand of sphagnum. Yeah. Very soft and luxurious, and uh, it comes in r- brilliant colors. You see a hummock in the bush that's blaze orange or funky, really striking lime green, and likely it's going to be a hummock of uh, of sphagnum. But okay. yeah, as soon as you as soon as you grab a handful, you'll just know it's a different moss. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
And you, like a hummock, you mean it's just like it's kind of sticking up out of yeah, the dirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like it grows on a mound very often. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and that can be found like lots of places. Yeah. Like did, you, you couldn't go any too far in the boreal. First, you're, you know, spruce bogs are everywhere. You know, the chance of you ever being more than a mile away from a spruce bog someplace in our boreal is even small. Like it's this little <laughs> along the edge of a creek. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. You'll be along the edge of some crazy little creek and, you'll, and there'll be some spruce trees going on. It'll just be wet enough in the right environment. You'll find a sphagnum hot. Uh, hummocks and stuff so it doesn't even yeah. have to be in a big expanse of uh, spruce bog either that's a cool one i didn't know that one yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's it's obviously you know it's could easily save your bacon that one um so now uh and and then focus on a comfortable bed we said the ugly sister was sleep so if you're warm and hydrated let's we'll just pull this just right in front of you okay face. okay you, you can pull the whole thing okay. it, all, it all moves around you can lean back you <laughs> okay. Can okay enjoy it relax okay, <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. yeah i see what you're saying okay i'm getting this um <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna be here for four hours you yeah know that no, I, so, that's so what i'm saying <laughs> i think i'm trying to keep it factual like so we're kind of sticking with fire and we'll yes. stick with the beginning stages okay. Okay. and then maybe some other time we'll get you and we can talk about like edible plants and, sure. and stuff sure. like that yeah yeah so um so uh yeah so we broke down on our quad but we hopefully had the means to make fire and um because silly is that if you, if you want to if you want to see how much experience a person has with fire just check their pockets the mm. person that can make a fire rubbing two sticks together and with minimal amount of materials you'll find has a lighter and a ferrocerium rod and a sparker and cotton balls and Vaseline and things to light because that person really understands what it takes to make a fire. <laughs> it's exactly counterintuitive. The guy that doesn't understand, he mm-hmm. doesn't have nothing. He's got a pack of paper matches and he thinks he's good to go, right? So, But anyway, so uh, build a gorgeously comfortable bow bed. It takes minutes. In 20 minutes, you can have a bed that's likely as comfortable as your bed at home if you under, know and understand how to use uh, some yeah. materials at hand. So there we are. We're, 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 we're warm because we've got a fire. We're hydrated because, well, hopefully we've got a container, but if we don't, we don't, we can melt snow or we have some strategies up our sleeves to, uh, I mean, a container's not as hard as you think. I mean, you know, there's lots of things we can pass off as containers. I mean, if you've got something that was some waterproof material, a tarp or a piece of plastic or anything, you can dig a hole in the ground and line the hole with plastic and then, yeah. and we use a strategy with the hot rocks too. Well, I imagine even cruise vests, right? Like in forestry, yeah, a lot yeah. of people are using cruise vests, right? I imagine a cruise vest is made out of a canvas material. It's probably, it'll probably hold. I'm sure there's something on there that could hold a little bit of water. Yeah, right? yeah, enough to, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could carefully maybe line a hole with your cruise vest or something. And uh, I mean, you always have to think creatively. And then if uh, if if you have access to some rocks, you heat the rocks up red hot and and in uh, a couple of egg-sized uh, cherry red rocks put into uh, uh, a couple liters of water. That water just about boils instantaneously. Oh, I guess. Eh? Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. it's actually pretty efficient. Uh, thinking in those terms, or you know, if you if you've got uh, tools and implements with you, access saws those kinds of things it's not hard to uh chip out a a uh, a container out of a fallen log yeah uh, and things like that like there like there's there is strategies but you will understand that as you as you gain uh time and experience you uh you start to understand like uh, another strategy is take a fold of uh take a good hearty fold of uh tin foil of heavy duty tin foil mm-hmm. and i've got strategies for quickly folding that into a pot that can boil water uh, and uh and melt snow what yeah. a nice thing for the survival kit <laughs> yeah yeah well it's light it doesn't take up yeah, any space exactly and it's just, exactly yeah. yeah and you well, can yeah, if you happen on something you have some onions and butter you can wrap it in it and throw it on the <laughs> coals too <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't find those often in the yeah, boreal, no, unfortunately no but, but you may be carrying uh some lunch supplies. i'm sure if you're out there though you wouldn't go hungry you <laughs> yeah. got mushrooms and oh yeah, yeah wood yeah. and whatever yeah, yeah. It else it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah oh yeah no there's uh i mean there's enough to keep you interested anyways but yeah so there you are you're now 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 all of a sudden you're not really when you say the word survival it means that there's a risk of you not living right because and if they if they remove the risk of you not living so now you're warm and hydrated and you're getting sleep then uh 
are you truly in a survival situation, I have to ask? I mean, I, things could still happen. You can easily create a survival situation. <laughs> Usually how you create a survival situation has nothing to do with the wilderness. Yeah. If it's either the elements and providing that you're likely a forestry type person would be dressed for the elements. So that's sort of a non-issue as long as they have a fire to dry out if they get wet and things. But it's usually a self-inflicted thing. Yeah. You've rolled your quad on top of yourself or you've cut your leg with your axe or your saw has slipped and, and given you a deep gouge on your arm yeah. or you've got, or you're sustaining a severe knife cut or you've got a severe burn from your fire. Yeah. We're our own worst enemy. That's most of the time. That's what creates the survival situation right. is ourselves. Yeah. The bush is inert. It's Just neither forest nor against us. One log you want to cut that's in the quad trail. So you take out the chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, well, I don't need the chaps. I'll, yeah. I'll yeah. Just suck. <laughs> Yeah, 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 that one time. Exactly. Yeah. So that's if we can protect ourselves from ourselves and then uh, have a couple of uh, simple skills. Um, yeah. yeah, the boreal is semi, most of our boreal anyways, classified as uh, semi-arid. So uh, so overhead protection, as long as you, uh, when I say make a bed, that's, you know, you still try to pick a place that has a certain amount of natural overhead protection. Yeah. If you're carrying a tarp or a piece of plastic or a poncho or a blanket or blah, blah, blah. Wow, you're in the lap of luxury. But, but <laughs> e- even without that, a, a, a good bed and a good fire trumps an extravagant shelter mm-hmm. on hard ground with poor firewood. So most people, they put they are in a survival situation. The first thing they go out is they think they have to make this extravagant shelter. And then what they have left for energy and resources around them, they eat together some kind of crappy bed and a poor selection of firewood. And they have a horrible night. Oh, gotcha. boys. Nope. Yeah. Build a really comfortable uh, bed. There's lots of strategies for that. Yeah. And then all your energy into collecting premium good firewood and lots of it. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter. It can be it can be surprisingly snowing very heavy or surprisingly raining quite heavy. You'll be way further ahead having a fire in a nice bed under yeah, a small sense. amount of red protection. Yeah, no, totally no contest. We've done it again and again and again. There's no contest. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just. Uh, we, I guess we, the only. I guess even if it's. I guess raining would be the only situation. Which but you even. Want something, but, right? but you get well. No, you can tolerate a surprising amount of rain with a comfortable bed and a good fire. I suppose. Eh? Yeah, and, it, and what it takes to make a rainproof shelter is. More than you think. Like, it, that's oh, the yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. Like, bow, <laughs> bows are, uh, you know, unless you have a tarp or piece of plastic. So you're better off to pick a pick an area and put your bed that, that is using some natural overhead protection where the ground's dry. You know, it's raining and the ground's dry, right? And they're yeah. going, well, there's a shelter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, and put your energy instead into a, uh, more of a comfortable you bed. You find the place where the where the bears and the and the moose and the deer lay down for the yeah, night, Yeah, right? exactly. And that's where you hang yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So no, very in our ecology, is, you, we don't usually have to look too far to find a nice, great, big white spruce that's got branches to the ground practically and you go in and you you uh, harvest a few branches from around the bottom for firewood and uh, and uh, augment your bed and you, you pick a handful of the duff up under the tree and it's powder dry and it's been raining for two days like it's yeah. like they're like it's pretty amazing um it is, yeah. yeah yeah and that that to me is w- worth way more than trying to uh i mean not saying you can't build a waterproof shelter but the amount of energy and resources it takes i mean there's certain times you're in certain and certain Things that you can make a pretty yeah, be, uh, shards of bark. I mean, a big, uh, you know, big chunks of uh, bark peeled off a of black poplar, or right. at the right time of year, birch bark or aspen bark or anything. You make shingles. I mean, it's not that hard to make a waterproof shelter, but but there's lots of times here when that I resource isn't available. That actually, making shingles out of bark. Oh, that's it huge. Totally makes sense. Yeah, it takes minutes, and it's it's huge. You walk up to an aspen, a big old uh, aspen tree this big, and give me ten minutes, and I'll have you three or four shingles that'll just about cover your whole uh, shelter, and you weight it down with some sticks. And no, no, that's a resource and a half. That's often yeah, just with a knife. Up. Well, it's nothing, no special tools required. Yeah. yeah. Heck, if you didn't have, I mean, knives are overrated. Knives are really overrated. I mean, we are so dependent on them, but a lot of what we do in the bush, I, I do segments that I show like hands as tools. Yeah. And so what you can do with sharp rocks. And you'd be amazed, like, yeah. and how efficient. I mean, yeah, the knife for the initial split of the bark would be a little handy, but you give me a sharp knife in minutes and I'll, I'll, I'll erode through 
I'll uh, crack a rock and get a sharp, and I'll have that bark off and I won't be too far behind you when you're using your knife and I'm using a sharp rock. Like there's, right. there's lots of little things. Eh? Half the time when I take the bark off a tree, I end up taking a twig or a piece of wood and, and, and making it a certain shape because it works better <laughs> than my knife for getting the bark off anyway. Yeah. Right. Or I make a baton because you're often pounding the knots in tight places of the bark to help get it off. I'm not using my knife for that. Like all you really use the knife for is that initial cut saves First you a bit of time but, get it in there. but yeah that's a classic example of well it's pretty amazing because the aspen like once you once you get in there it just kind of peels off right, right? time of year right, right time right? of year exactly yeah. so that's the issue is is the the resource isn't always available Right. So depending on the time of year, mm-hmm. but uh, n- thankfully in the rainy year, in the spring and the first half of the summer, the bark uh, of most of our trees, oh, by the way, and on pine and on spruce, yeah. uh, aspen, birch, just about all our trees give up their bark really easily in gorgeous, nice, big sheets that are, that, and, that, and that's your, the issue with making a waterproof shelter is that uh, if you're using uh, boughs and, and, uh, and uh, leaves from deciduous trees, it has to be at about 60 degrees and about, uh, and about uh, 30 centimeters thick. To actually really start to do uh, any kind of value of shedding water. Right. But for your sidewalls, they're 60, fine. 60 degree slope. You yes, yeah. 60 degree slope, yeah. yeah. So, but for your sidewalls and your shelter, well, leaves and boughs are fine because they're virtually vertical. Right. So you make a beanie of the bark shingles. That's all you really care is that, depending on what kind of shelter you've built, but the part right. that's, that's, that's not steep. So 60 and, and, and more gentle, but anything steeper okay. than 60, well, now all of a sudden, you can get some pretty good water shedding capabilities with just, uh, just bows. bows. And, yeah. Spruce bows. Yeah. Huh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So let's imagine, um, I know one, one thing that my dad actually just reminded me about, uh, a couple of days ago when we were in elk camp was he was talking about like forest survival, right. And talking about guys. Cause like most of the people he's training on how to survive that they do, they have a quad or they have something right. Or their truck is broke down or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's just telling them just to bring a piece of steel wool with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And like, the idea there is you just hook it, like, you just hook it up to the battery yep. post and the yep. lights on fire yep. and you're yep. 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 good to go. Yep. Although you don't even need steel wool. No, no. If you're like a native guy, he come up with this and I thought, Oh, that's smart. Eh? He's a smoker and he, and he, uh, doesn't have his lighter, his matches. So he <laughs> simply pops his seat off his quad and takes a spark plug wrench out. Peels the spark plug out, puts the um, puts the spark plug back in the uh, in the coil wire. Tries to start it. <laughs> uh, takes a rips a little piece of a, sh- of a shirt tail off. Okay. Opens the, his gas tank, reaches down, dips a little bit of gas on his shirt tail, puts the shirt tail on a, in a little fork stick, and then he touches the uh, spark plug to the to the motor so it's grounded. And then his battery's dead, but he just pulls he just pulls manually right. You know he starts it. With a pull, yeah, with the pull or a yeah. kick part, yeah. So he just kicks out. Of course, spark, 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 spark. It quickly lights the gas laden little piece of thing, and he lights a cigarette. <laughs> and then when he's done, he puts the spark plug in and then drives away. Man, this but, guy really wanted a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, but but think about that for fire lighting. You've just about, geez, I mean, is that not the world's most reliable fire starting system? Right gasoline, there, you've got gas, you've you got, got a spark. starter. Oh got my goodness! Like, oh my goodness! Yeah, 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 yeah. Steel wool's fine. The issue I have with uh, with uh, short circuiting your battery is there's always a hazard about making sparks on your battery, so you want to be cognizant of it. it's one of the most dangerous parts of any vehicle. I teach yeah. a course called roadside emergency, and uh, if your battery happens to be leaking a little bit, the fumes from that battery are extraordinarily flammable and can. Re- and then of course, can you imagine a battery blowing up and, and covering you with battery acid and all those kinds of things? Yeah. So what I do to to, to build on what your dad does is I also take a short piece of wire. Because now what you can do is you can, or you can actually create the spark away from your battery. So you put the, you cut the wire in half, put one half of the, well, two reasons I carry a wire. It's actually a piece of house wiring. It's booster cables for a quad. And I've used it again and again and again. It rolls up (laughs) tiny. Yeah. And the other thing is you you can put, um, 
you can put it onto the terminals of the battery and then create the spark a safe distance from the battery. I mean, right. yeah, no, I think you're being careful when you do it, no matter what you do. But it's just, again, I talked about us being our own worst enemy. Yeah. You weren't in a survival situation and all of a sudden <laughs> your battery yeah. blows up or you get acid on your you whatever. Yeah, now no. you're in a survival situation. But I guess so. the idea is that it's it's important to like think about the tools that you have on you, right? Yeah. Like just, yeah. it might not, you might not think about it as a tool, but like there's, you know, you're wearing clothes, you've got oh, glasses, huge. you've got huge, whatever, huge. all kinds yeah. of things, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Even I don't even know. Like I'm sure you could. You have a use for coins and oh, like, guaranteed credit guaranteed. cards and yep. all kinds yep. of stuff. Oh, right? for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's an infinite amount of stuff. I mean, yeah. you could, like I said, yeah. you could do you could do 20 hours of this, and you still wouldn't even touch the surface of what you could for do, sure. right? For sure. Yeah. So uh, okay, so let's imagine. Let's take it a step further. Then, so right. So you're spending one night in the bush. You're gonna go out. You're gonna build a fire, build a nice bed, and maybe a shelter if right, know, right, less, right. less kind of thing is a shelter. Oh, get water. Right. Water. Um. So okay, now now it's been like two nights or mm-hmm. three nights, and you still have not. Um, and let's assume that you can't walk out. Let's, let's say you don't have your compass for some stupid reason. You don't know how to get out. So, okay. so let's assume you can't get out. You're choosing you, to stay put. You have to choose to stay put for whatever reason, right? Um, what would be the next step? Well, really, it doesn't change too much. Now, yeah. now you can start to build that extravagant shelter. Uh, now you can start to uh, if you if like we we don't really like to to think about expending too much energy getting food because right. that seems like the nat- next natural progression. But the issue is unless you can get enough calories, then you kind of shoot yourself in the foot. You, 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 you get less than what you're outputting. Right. You're spending so, more calories than you're actually getting. Exactly. Back. Yeah. So unless you're extraordinarily proficient at hunting or maybe you are hunting and you've got a rifle and you're, you're in an area that's got some or whatever. I mean, that's fine. But, but we, food doesn't even rear its ugly head till, uh, till, uh, 30, 40 days, right. Yeah. For us in terms of, if we're talking survival. Right. Um, but, but I mean, uh, there's always this thing about, well, if you're awaiting rescue, I mean, the types of things I'd be focusing on is uh, signal fires and uh, uh, ground to air uh, uh, signals. And, uh, you know, maybe I would be, there's strategies for making whistles and, 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 and uh, other signal devices. Right? Whistles. I remember the whistles, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. They I can remember. be carved, carved out of uh, wood or they can be uh, made out of uh, strips of tin or, they, they, yeah. you know, there's different things. You could likely find something on you or around you that you could make. I mean... If you can make a whistle that makes the same decibels as a Fox 40, which is totally doable, uh, if you're starting to get cold or hypothermic or if you're uh, low on energy, shouting takes a lot of energy as opposed oh, yeah. to a, a shrill whistle. And a shrill whistle can be heard uh, far off and stuff like that. So I, that, think about, I think about elk bugles. How yes. Far, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like how they can be three miles away and you can just hear yeah yeah like, what? yeah exactly <laughs> exactly right like yeah, just that yeah. high-pitched tone you can really hear it yeah i'm also heavily involved as a search and rescue okay so uh some of the things we do are what's called uh sound sound sweeps okay and uh so let's say let's say you're looking for a person that um that you know that they likely know they're being looked for and you're just mm-hmm. trying to narrow it down where they are right um you know, fire is your friend always. We always, you'd be amazed at the amount of lost people we look for that don't have the ability to build fire. Yeah. So that, and uh, and if they had a fire, we'd see the smoke and we'd see the flame at night. Straight uh, there. Oh yeah, like, but 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 they don't. And so other leg ups are, you know, you know we do these, uh, say, sound sweeps and um, there's all kinds of tools at our, exposure, at our disposal. But the way sound sweep works is you move along in a line and at very specific intervals, everybody blows their whistle simultaneously. Mm. So let's say you've got five searchers and they're running a line. Right. And then you stop and listen for somebody hollering or, wow, wouldn't it be hand- handy to get a whistle back? 
right? Just think about yeah. that. How yeah. much faster yeah. you'd find them and how much yeah. further that sound would travel. Then we'd advance in that direction. We'd stop, blow the whistle again. And then they, then they're, they're, they're onto it by then. And they whistle yeah. back and geez, we can zero right in on them. If I, I got to make one of those, those little twig whistles mm-hmm. the other day because yeah. i remember doing it as a child yeah. all the time i used to yeah. always make them i play with the decibels you can yeah get like, yeah try yeah. and get a higher pitched and i can't for the life of me remember how to do it okay yeah, yeah. i should do a video on that or whatever uh, but yeah, yeah, cause yeah. it's a cool one because like you, you like you get the wood out from the bark the bark right? has to be slipping that's the, slipping that's, it has yeah. to be green yeah so slip it out from the bark yeah you cut a little notch right yeah the, and then you slip you cut the t- like a slight little top off the wood part and yeah. put it or back the bar- in. The bark and the wood just a little bit, yeah. And then yeah. you pull the bark off. Then you really deepen the, the whistle and then you slide the bark back on, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, So, yeah, yeah. I know you're right on cue. I, I can do it. If, I, if I'm on my game, I can do it in 20 knife strokes. I can make a whistle. 20 knife strokes. Hey, strokes. done it that yeah. many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's those, but yeah, like little things like that, right? Like if you have a knife, like you can make a whistle and help you get out. Yeah. Build yeah. It. So like it all comes down to like having a fire, having like a knife. And like I guess like a, a big one that, I mean, most people are going to find themselves in a situation if they do find themselves in this type of a uh, getting comfortable situation, you know, like right, call it survival, right. yeah. uh, then it's probably just going to be a night because yeah. chances are somebody knows generally where you are. They're yeah. probably going to come find you. Um, 72 hours. 72 hours. Okay. So you want, yeah. So tip, typically what happens is, is that's about the longest you usually have to wait to be rescued. So if you strategize in your mind to survive for 72 hours, mm. uh, your chance of survive of, of just having a camping trip is is about 100%. Because that uh-huh. tends to be the line in the sand where after 72 hours, people tend to falter or start doing stupid things or maybe they haven't got sleep in their dumb decisions or maybe if, you know what I'm saying? But that, yeah. that, so that, so that's what they say is that 72 hours is kind of the magic mark where, yeah, yeah, that your chance of survival is just a near a thousand percent if you get rescued in 72 hours. After 72 hours, well, now you have to, you know, there's some things that you have to take you into to consideration. In. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of it has to do with... Uh, psychological not physiological but uh yeah, but yeah 72 hours is that magic line doing something stupid right? doing something stupid or you just self-defeat yourself or uh yeah yeah like bad decision making or um or uh yeah you just you start you panic and you maybe start running or yeah getting hurt getting, yeah like, exactly yeah, exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so i guess like one of the biggest ones i i, I always make sure that i have i don't have, i'm not as prepared as you are i'm not carrying a tinder box with me or whatever but i always make sure i have uh, like two ways of lighting a fire, a knife and a Smart. compass, just Smart. those three things. Yeah. And just yeah. like, just to make sure like I don't matter what situation I get into, <laughs> I have like, I can handle it. Right. If you want to but, add to that list, mm-hmm. we, Absolutely. <laughs> we, we say, we say a, a real simple way to think about it is if you've got a bit of a skill set mm-hmm. and you carry what we call the five C's, Okay. the five C's, I can't remember who come up with it, but anyway, it's just kind of a neat list of, um, of, uh, you know, the things that are probably hard to obtain in the wilderness that if you have on you, it's a big leg up when you're playing with things. And you've said most of them already. So so one is uh, C for uh, cutting tools. You say yeah. you carry a knife or some type of cutting tool. Yeah. My preference is a knife and a saw and an axe. But if I can only <laughs> carry one, it might be an, it might be an axe. But usually you're traveling later, so often it's just your knife. So at a minimum, so it's scalable is what I'm saying. But right. yeah, so a cutting tool, but at the very minimum, a knife, a sturdy knife. Number two is a uh, is uh, combustion. So yeah, the reliable means of starting a fire. Now, when I say reliable... I mean reliable. If the, if if you're not adept at making a fire, and it, that means you have to pack around a propane tiger torch, then that's what you should carry. <laughs> I hate to say it, but make sure you have to be guaranteed fire. Yeah. Uh, the next C is a container, 
And this one that's always missing in most survival kits. And it's so important because yeah. that's what gives us the ability to stay hydrated. If we can't stay hydrated, well, we're going to have all kinds of other issues, right? When they make those like uh, those collapsible ones. They do. Too, right? They that's do. Like, there's, oh, there's no yeah. excuse nowadays. Or what I do is uh, sometimes I use, take a tin can with a, a coffee can and I put mm. some items inside that and then throw that in the trunk of your quad. So now you've got... Yeah. Doesn't have to be that big if you can boil a cup at a time, even. So, so your survival kit container yeah. should be the type of container that you can melt snow or boil water. There's right. a that's whenever you're appraising a survival kit, make sure that it's in fact um, uh, that it's got some strategy for a container. Yeah. Number four is cover. Now, cover can mean the adequate clothes on your back because if you if you're really well dressed, it's amazing what you can persevere element wise. But you can add to it, and cover could also mean a tarp. Cover yeah. could also mean a blanket. It could mean a sleeping bag. It could mean all the above. Mm-hmm. And again, that's scalable. But at the very minimum, the the most adequate clothing that you can have for the for the for the uh, for the worst conditions that you could uh, possibly expect of your outing, and then you're covered off. Right. Yeah. So whatever that means, if yeah. it's cold weather, stuff for cold, if it's wet weather, stuff for wet. And then the last thing is cordage. Cordage. Because it's one thing. I mean, I'm adept enough where I can, in five minutes, I can, I can grab all kinds of things right out of my bum to lash stuff together in the bush because yeah. I practiced with it. But for most people, and me, I still carry lots of, uh, of cordage. Paracord's a good pick. There's lots of things you can use. But just everything we do in the bush is lashed. Everything, right? So uh, it is one thing that I do have. Which be, I forgot to mention that I do have right. a thing of paracord, especially when I'm out hunting and stuff. You have a little thing of paracord because it's perfect. Yeah, no, it's 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 amazing how often when you're in the bush that you realize, like, man, I could use a piece of rope right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> just, just solve all my problems. It's usually for like repairing something, yeah. or like it's just it's not going to be for what you think because no. you can't you can't conjure what you're going to need it for until you need it. But just about anything, I can tell you story after story where where the ability to work with knots and tie things tightly has saved my bacon again and again i yeah. believe it yeah yeah but uh anyway so sorry to interrupt you matt so you were at what you were carrying which was you left off oh at- i had i just oh i just had just those things i yeah. usually have actually in my cruise vest i don't know if i have cord but okay. i definitely have i have i always have, I have two knives two lighters and i have uh yeah well, i always have i guess i always have water bottles and stuff with me but cool, like cool. yeah i could definitely yeah. advance it i do have a little like a couple little um survival kits that i do have that have you know they have the, like the like the safety blanket right have, right like, all that kind of stuff but i find honestly you could rather than spending a hundred dollars on like a, a pre-made survival kit like you could spend 15 and you can make your own most of it comes in, from the dollar store too that's, yeah. that's the hilarious so thing like, yeah between yeah. the dollar store and the thrift shop the cotton ball yeah, vaseline or yeah, whatever yeah, right yeah, like yeah exactly. there's so much that you can do yeah yeah no it's important and i think that's the that's the key i guess is that is to keep you have to make a fire have a way to cut stuff, container, yeah. and cordage, and coverage. Yeah. As we said. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's yeah. a good way to do it. Five yeah. Cs. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. I remember, like, did you used to teach that uh, yeah. Yeah. when I was a kid, too? Yeah. yeah I think yeah. you did. It's been eh? on for a lot of years. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've been a part of Junior Forest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, that, was, that was always a really cool setup. I always really enjoyed that. Like, we would go out and do those those winter uh, winter campouts yes, right, with yeah, everybody yeah, and, yeah. like, make a lean-to and yeah. have a fire and fire building competitions and boil yeah. the water and like all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, and like great, great, great. Program. So much fun. Yeah. Oh, it was the best. I even, uh, even in hell attack a couple of times we would overnight on fires kind of thing. Cause it just situation called for it. Right. Um, and yeah, we would build like a little lean to, and of course there's nice, fire because nice. we're camping on a fire. So yeah. Just, yeah. Like, yeah. we're not really worried about yeah. that. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, like the number of times that I've used those skills that I learned when I was a kid, uh, it's yeah, like spending time in the bush, right? I use them all the time. So yeah, it's you know, yeah. it's it's super handy to have. But I think I don't I don't know what the like how many people that spend time like even 
people that spend time hiking or spend time uh whatever fishing hunting all kinds of stuff down like in the rockies and stuff like that how many of them know how to or even have a compass on them or oh, even yeah. have no, for sure. a lighter sure. or some way to like i don't i think most of them don't right, right. they just yeah. think well i'm on the trail i'm good like there's other people around exactly, it's like, exactly. what happens if you break Navigation your legs what yep. happens if you you know what i mean like there's yeah. people a lot of people don't have the contingency plan but a lot of people now i find do have like the the spot or the in reach mm-hmm. right those mm-hmm. like satellite yeah. Yeah. yeah those are a good system but too, there's but safety nets and, and, there's safety and nets. So, so you start to i mean I, I have to admit myself every once in a while i'll catch myself i'll just I've got a GPS in my pocket and I'll just go. Yeah. And then when I'm done going, I'll say, okay, it's time to go back now. Okay, I'm just going to pull up my GPS and see where my, because I know where I'm parked on the GPS on the vehicle so I can create a waypoint. Okay, yeah. I can do all kinds of things. But, oh, crap, batteries are dead. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. You know, yeah. we oh, get yeah. this dependency. It's happened. Oh, my oh, goodness. Totally. Yeah. And and your example with the hikers, yeah, what I'd like to add to that is um, get separated from their gear. Oh yeah. So they've got they've got a real safety net on their back, mm-hmm. but it does happen. You can get separated from your gear. The yeah. Weird things happen, right? And uh, uh, particularly, you know, spill in your canoe. That's a classic example. Yep. Or, uh, you know, is, is gonna, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've all done, we've all been there. Uh, few people, uh, you know, get chased out of your camp by a bear, and uh, and you don't have the nerve to go back, and uh, and you, you got to get out of there. And whoa, you, you, you're not brave enough to go get your stuff. Well, I hope oh. you got some stuff in your pockets. Then if you're not going to go back and get your you get your stuff, and there's just there's instances that can happen where you get separated. You know, uh, oh, yeah. some yeah, precariously along uh, steep banks and things like that. And uh, sometimes it's you don't want to stand up with your pack because the wind's going to blow you over. So you have got your pack in one hand and you're skidding along a little, and all of a sudden you lose grip of your pack and you watch it tumble down. And boy, you may not be able People to access. People do that. a lot of weird things when they're hiking. Well, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Climb up this tree. I'll yeah. do this, whatever. <laughs> I, was, I have a funny story about uh, flipping a canoe. Actually, I was. It was my bachelor party, and we're going down in Slave Lake. We're canoeing, right? And of course, we're inebriated in canoes, and it's like not always smart to do that. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, my, okay. my, my three buddies are in one canoe, and they have no gear, just the three of them, because like there's three of them in there, right? And I'm like, this is already an iffy situation. They end up flipping. They had only thing they had. They had our pots and pants. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and so, like, yeah. that night we ended up pulling them out everything was good we lost the pots and pans right but not a big deal like we had most of the stuff we had was like smokies and whatever right but we pulled out where we ended up landing was like right on the where a pipeline goes under the river and back out and uh someone made someone had brought like burgers and we're like well how the hell are we gonna cook these burgers right and we were thinking about how we're gonna do you know make a stick that you can have them on or whatever it is and like me not thinking straight because I've been drinking beer all day long. <laughs> I walk up and I'm walking around the, like the, the site where the pipeline goes underneath, right? I'm like, there's gotta be a sheet of metal or like something we can, uh, I, I, I pull off those like do not dig signs. Right? <laughs> I pull one of those off and I was like, here we go. You cook on this. And like, <laughs> as we're eating it, right. I think one of my buddies is a geologist. He's like, you guys really shouldn't be eating that. We're like, why? He's like, that's poisonous. He's like, that's literally like, it's dipped in zinc and it's like, you're going to get zinc poisoning. Like, that's literally dipped in poison. You should not cook on this whatsoever, right? We're all, and then like, five minutes later, he's having a burger, right? Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> we all Hunger wins burger. out, yeah. Yeah, I was like, well, that probably wasn't the smartest idea. I was like, it did kind of taste metally, but yeah, but yeah, like there was just kind of not being prepared and just lots of stupid decisions happened then right it was just it was it was a lot it was a lot of bad situations all tied up in one but, but that's so great i mean that's where you learn you know what i mean that's as long as everybody came out of it unscathed and uh you're st- you're half normal from the from the od on zinc that's uh that's okay but just uh, around that too just knowledge is power mm-hmm. and the more you know you less the less you carry and what i've had a lot of fun with lately is gradually figuring out what i don't need yeah and one thing you don't need 
is the sheet of metal or the grill or whatever. Yeah. I've just about, um, what I've been playing with a lot is cooking directly on coals. Mm. Oh my goodness. It's just about dispensed with the, with having to bring a frying pan or anything. Right. So all you do is you, uh, if you know how to, in, 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 in 30 seconds, if you time me, if I was in a mad rush, I could probably make a set of tongs, but two minutes, if I'm taking my time, I can make a set of tongs to manage coals from the fire. And you take coals from the fire and you put them in a, in a, in a flat air area away from the fire and you, and you beat them down so that they're, sort of flattish gotcha. and i cook there's nothing i don't cook on there i cook bannock i cook steaks i cook burgers i've cooked fillets of fish so what do you I use cook, as a like in nothing, between so you don't get nothing, char on it nothing no? nothing because the issue the thing is it's it's counterintuitive you put a grill over a set of coals and what happens whatever you're cooking drips on the coals it starts to flash up and flame and then it, and it creates char <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> you put it on the coals well it's like the old boil in the water in the paper bag trick right it doesn't burn and it cooks gorgeous. In fact, you can put you, so, and I can and I can I can cook fast too. Like I'll take a I'll take a slab of meat and I'll put it on coals, and then I'll take some coals and put it on top of the meat. So it's cooking from both sides. Yeah. I mean, you look at the primitive cultures. They, that was just so common cooking on coals or, or or digging a hole and filling it full of coals, putting something in, and it just I never thought about that. And it just if there's a little bit of dusty ash, well, there's a couple interesting things around that. Number one, it just brushes off anyway. Number two, it adds a bit of flavor. Number three, there is research out there if you look it up that sort of suggests that there's some problems in the human physiological health situation. That 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 when we started to get away from cooking on fires, because there's actually little trace minerals that we were getting right. through cooking in and around fires, isn't that something? Oh, yeah. So here, uh, so now, so the epitome of it is I've actually cooked bacon on coals. Even you know, yeah. you try and wrap bacon around a stick and it burns on the bottom and That's it's raw exactly on top and it catches fire. It just party. does not work. <laughs> no, but so here is a picture of us. Try, we have bacon. We had a bacon on a on a double prong stick. And then we had we we had made like a bed, and we tried to crack an egg in there to have the egg cook in the bacon. Yeah, yeah, chaos, yeah, yeah. I've been there, done that, and it's life's way simpler. The, the egg's a little more of a challenge, but I would just cook the egg whole whole in its shell. That's what yeah, I ended the, up yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're boiled or in the in, yeah. the in the coals. Yeah. So uh, so all of a sudden it's like, well, if I got a pot, and I can cook anything on the coals that I want that I need to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just uh, it's just all you you know. There's always tips and tricks and idiosyncrasies you learn, right? Yeah. The kind of wood, the how hard the coals are, and how much coals it takes, and how much heat you want, and those kinds of things. And you know, you don't want to bust the coals down too much because they'll turn to ash. But you want to bust them down enough that they create a bit of a flat surface, yeah. right? Or else they're too lumpy, and you you know. But with a little bit of practice, yeah, coal cooking is brilliant. Yeah. And hey, there's, I'm just traveling that again. I like a wool blanket and a pot and a small amount of food and a, what's in my pockets and uh, maybe a tarp and away you go. You, you learn how to how to uh, deal without a lot of this stuff and it's freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that totally makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. I can't believe I overlooked the yeah. fact that you could just yeah you could just do that. Yeah, what's, yeah, what yeah. Am I doing? yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's those little things, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's yeah, it's also interesting. And like the the big one that I we won't get into now because we're over an hour here already, but. I would really like to bring you back on actually and talk about like edible, mm-hmm. just edible things yeah, in yeah, yeah, the boreal, right? Because yeah. I mean, there's 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 little ones like I know about like the like you can eat the cambium layer off of trees yeah, and you can, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? There's berries, so. of course, mm-hmm. and there's certain types of mosses and yeah. the mushrooms one is as I'm, I've never dived into the mushrooms one. Oh, I've been going crazy last couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Shaggy means yesterday, day before a, high, a big uh, stash of honey mushrooms. So I've been, eating, I've been nice. just uh, gorging on mushrooms for the last few Do days. Do you have yeah. a good book for that? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's it? What's it called? It's the one by the author's name is Helen. It's basically, uh, 
It's basically Mushrooms of Western Canada. Okay. And it's written by Helen, um, oh, boys. If you go to the Alberta Mushroom Society site, okay. if you just Google Alberta, not Mushroom, Alberta Mycological Society <laughs> site. Yeah. Uh, a different website. Yeah, go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, uh, they, they, you go to the recommended books and it's first on the list. And it's basically okay. our Bible because she, she, you know, she's from uh, Sandy Lake. And uh, that's all. Ninety percent of the mushrooms in the book she's found in Alberta, and she describes them real well, illustrates them real well. She's got a great key in there, Um, and yeah. So it's it's like if you're gonna have one mushroom guide, I like a couple because she uses line drawings and illustrations, which is good for emphasizing the characteristics. Yeah. But then it's nice to have another mushroom book that's all photographs Mm because now you can compare the two. Yeah. Right. You can see what it looks like. Photographs are for me like I I find myself not trusting illustrations. Right. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, some asshole just drew this. If they forgot. Exactly. Something like, what am I? What am I doing? Exactly. Right? <laughs> and it doesn't. And you know, the photograph. Because you're right. She has to emphasize the character. But that's the thing is, she's she's exaggerating a little bit the characteristics. So that's obvious in line drawing. Now you can look at the picture, and it may be not that obvious in the picture. But now you go, ah, okay. So as long as it has honey mushroom, it has the yellow streaks on the stock below the cottony ring. And then you look at the picture. Well, you won't see that in the, a lot of the pictures. You won't see that. But right. now you see the picture and kind of what the mushroom likes or what the mushroom looks like. And now you see her book and you see the, uh, oh, little yellow streaks uh, on the blower part of the string. Ah, that's it. You gotcha. know what I mean? Then you, and then you cross-reference. It's cream-colored gills. Uh, the, the gills are decurrent. Um, it's got a cottony ring. It's got yellow streaks and the stalk is fibrous. And it sometimes has a scaly appearance in stock. You got five characteristics. Boom! You know it's the right mushroom, and um, nice. and, and away you go. Yeah, yeah. That's what I really want to get into because I, I lately I've been finding myself wanting to get into more uh, cooking, like because I'm a hunter, obviously, and yeah. I, I like I want to try and cook full meals with just things from that environment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, like I want to sure. start doing that kind of stuff. I think oh, it's, yeah. I haven't really done it yet. Like I, I would like to make like a like a like a rose hip. Yeah, stuff and like sure, make whatever sure, cranberry sure. sauces. And yes, like yes, all kinds absolutely, of stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Yeah. But like mushrooms are one that like I love mushrooms, but I've never I've never been brave enough to like be like, yep, that's yeah. that's edible. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I knew about ten mushrooms reliably for quite a few years. You know, I would go up by maybe one mushroom a year or something, and then I joined the uh, Alberta Mycological Society. Yeah. And they do forays, and they do forays through the summer every one a week. Oh yeah. And so I went from. I I went from ten to about sixty now that I'm comfortable with. That's awesome. In, in a couple of years, like you just you just so if you do want to learn mushrooms, it's it's a slow way and by book and and one by one and slow and steady. But you know, one foray you'll generally pick up two, three, four, five mushrooms. Like just yeah, it's yeah. fast. And you got somebody standing there pointing out, smell this, taste it, feel this. It's just a waxy. Yeah, okay, whatever. You know, you get you get somebody showing you oh, the actual characteristics this, and how yeah. specialized everybody is. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I got all the the knowledge that's coming together oh, yeah. because of that, right? Oh like, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. I love it. Yeah. No, it's so good. Well, I think um, that's an hour and ten. Okay. Let's call. Let's call our quits there. Okay. And let's. I think we like. That was a good like roundabout. We talked. Okay. You know what I mean? Like we talked around fire a lot. And that okay. was perfect. Like that okay. was perfect. Okay. Um. So yeah, like let's. I'll, I'll throw. I'll, I'll talk about your like what your business a little bit at the beginning right. too. Okay. But like yeah, explain explain it is like what you do and 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 okay. kind of yeah. yeah. Plug yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm a bit of an entrepreneur, so I'm in into all kinds of things. But my passion business is a company called Wildside Wilderness Connection. I started that up in Slave Lake. I did uh, canoe and kayak tours and rentals up there for 12 years. 
but I also uh, imparted a lot of uh, wilderness skills and stuff too. That was my real passion. It doesn't sell as well as kayaking and canoeing. That's the issue. <laughs> and so uh, as of late, yeah, that's what I use as the bulk of my time. I travel all over the place, you know, all over the province. And and, and uh, as of late, I'm, you know, going to the island to uh, work with Canadian Rangers, which is pretty thrilling for me. And then um, and then uh, I fly to Minnesota next week for the, to the winter camping, or in a couple of weeks rather, uh, end of October, yeah. a long ways off, uh, winter camping symposium. <laughs> so yeah, essentially it's just a business I do, uh, but I, I, but, but sadly to the listeners, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't really do individuals. I cater completely to groups. I've, right. I've evolved way past the point. You don't have time for individuals. No, no, no. <laughs> but having said that, is I do have people in contacts that, that, that get groups together that mm. I can hook up with. So that's what I always say is if you're interested in some skills. And I'm part of a huge network in Alberta too. So there's a whole bunch of us, uh, survival instructors that sort of band together, not just survival instructors. Oh my goodness. You pick it. And I, it can be everything from anything from hide tanning to, uh, herbal plant walks and everything in between to basket making. Yeah. There's just, we yeah. have this really neat core yeah. in Alberta that we've de- developed. So, so yeah, that's sort of, sort of my, my wild side business, I guess. And then I do some contracting for, um, well, I'll, for, yeah, the college a bit and, and, uh, also for, uh, uh, Karamat Wilderness Ways, which is, uh, Morris Kohansky's school, essentially. It's his sanctioned school. So I'm, I've been the lead instructor there now since, uh, 2009. And, nice. uh, and we do at least a winter and a summer there, sometimes some custom courses. So if you are an individual, that's a great place to sign up to. Yeah. If, okay. you're, if you're interested in this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm not, uh, that's, that's just, uh, that's, I'm not about the money and I'm not about the business side. I'm more about the community and the fun. So we have some great gatherings. We've got a frostbite in January that's, uh, down by Bowden at the Foothills Camp. And we've got, uh, the Rat Root Rendezvous, which is, uh, not too far from Wildwood, which is an amazing event. And uh, we go to some events in the States too. Um, but we have one big event that, uh, Matthew promised I could put a plug in for, and that is the Global Bushcraft Symposium next year, 2019, June 10th to the 14th. It's, uh, we're, uh, every, all the big dogs we can get there ought to be there. There should be, Les Shroud is, uh, is going to be there, uh, Lars Felt, uh, Tom Luchens, uh, uh, Cody Lundin is trying to get his, make his way up, up here. Um, uh, David Westcott, uh, uh, Dave Holiday, like, uh, uh, just these huge, huge names in the bushcraft and survival industry. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, they, they, we're, you know, we're, 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 we, we've hit some stone walls, but we're trying to get Ray Mears in there. Morris Kohansky is going to be there, of course. Uh, yeah. just, uh, just all the, uh, whoever we can think of. So if you are interested, we do have a website going. It's uh, If you just Google uh, Global Bushcraft Symposium, it comes up first or second uh, link. And uh, and uh, we, I, will, I will warn people, though, that it's not necessarily a place to go and learn tons of skills. It's uh, We want to create more of a forum for people that are sort of already in the industry uh, first, so survival instructors and that, because we want to start to band people together for uh, to, to start to have a look at... Um, you know, sort of where the industry's going because it is quite haphazard right now. And mm-hmm. people look at Alberta and they're very impressed with, with how together we are in terms of, uh, in terms of our uh, skills, uh, our instructors and skills sort of uh, banding together. But, um, uh, but after we get a, a satisfying number of instructors involved, then it's going to be open to the public. Yeah. And so there'll be things like keynote speeches from some of our big guns and there'll be breakout sessions that we'll be talking about things in the industry. And then we're going to have these things called theme camps, which uh, there may be like an axe theme camp and an outdoor cooking theme camp and a canoe camp and a horseback riding camp and a herbal medicine camp, and all these camps. So you basically go and you get to, you know, sample stuff and see things and try things and see demonstrations and those kinds of things. So, awesome. so 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 le- less on the workshop side. Yeah. But having said that, lots of, you know, some hands on and some cool things so there's so much out there to talk about i've been trying to find somebody to talk to uh 
uh, like traditional use plants, and I'm exactly. trying to find somewhere to talk. They're in about. our circles. Yep. Yeah, like, we so have like, tons of those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we gotta we gotta talk more about that kind of stuff. Yep. Like I got yeah. There's there, there's so much of that out there. Huge, that, huge. That yeah. I, but there's not a lot of people that know about it, right? Right. Like, it's like right. You, we know it exists, but like how to do some of that stuff is like, like I don't know. I don't know anything about like traditional use plants. Like nothing. I can't think of anything. But like I know that there's. I know that you like, say that, but I'm gonna. I'll put you on the spot right now and prove that you're wrong. Yeah. So what can you put on a bee sting in the bush? Bee sting in the bush. Yeah. Oh, resin. Or? You could put resin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought you may know the answer, but like a, yeah. like a, like, a, like <laughs> plant, plantain leaves, like cause, oh, or something right. like that. Okay. How about on a burn though? Oh, burn. Yeah. Oh. You just answered it a second ago. Oh, resin. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> things, things like that. I mean, so, I mean, we, but I mean, there's some things that yeah. we know that we don't even know we know, but right. that it's just you know we take for granted. Yeah. But it, yeah, you usually push anybody to the point, and there'll be some plant. Stuff, you'll yeah. know some. Yeah. Right. You'll know some. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. that's how we accumulate knowledge. It's yeah. cool stuff, though. And yeah. I, I would, yeah, I would love to get somebody on there to talk about that kind of stuff. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like we should. Yeah, we need to talk. Try and what what's what is is there something we could get aspirin from in the bush? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> see, see, I'm telling you. I've done that actually. Of course. Of one course. time I was actually see? sick and I was, uh, I can't remember if I had a cough or I was, what it was, but I was, uh, I actually, yeah, I collected a bunch of poplar buds, boiled them and had the, and just steamed myself. Right. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. But there you go. See, yeah. you, and we think we, but it's, yeah. it's a little bit, we, we, we always know more than we think we know. I'm going to yeah. give you a gift here. This is, oh, uh, nice. Thanks. This is, uh, a chorus calamus. Chorus calamus. Yeah, so I recognize is, that. Yeah, this is uh, another name for it. It's uh, its common name is called a uh, sweet flag, and then uh, what uh, are the native populations? And we call it is rat root. Oh, that is rat root. Yeah. So oh. you, so you look at it, and it's um and it actually looks like the. Oh, you can have it. Yeah, that's the. So it's like the tail of a rat. So that's why it's called rat root, is because oh. that's sort of what the root looks like. So we we pick that, and that's um that's, cool. that's a. You can look it up. It's got pages of information oh that's yours that's it yeah yeah it's a gift yeah we're talking about medicine and plants and all that stuff and that's very cool bring something bring a gift but that's uh so that stuff is held in extraordinarily high esteem um and it's i mean just off the top of my head uh, like you're talking about coughs and colds and things like that Uh, you break a piece of that off and put it between your gum and teeth and let your saliva start to soften it and i mean a little piece it's torquey yeah and then just (laughs) let it trickle down your throat or if you feel a sore throat coming on yeah by all means uh yeah get some of that in there because it's a little bit antimicrobial uh we make tinctures out of it for treating certain things um, it's awesome for stomach disorders so you start to get an upset stomach or uncomfortable I stomach i have an upset stomach <laughs> okay well that's that's the stuff that you like sure yeah, yeah, some people yeah some people <laughs> use it as a preventative and all that but but uh, but but basically uh yeah it's got i mean robert rogers has about two pages of uh of uh of things that that um that's another one of i've our always groups. wanted to know I, I it's a sed right or it's like, yeah, yeah, it's a sedge. It looks very similar to a cattail. Right. And it grows, it often is grown in with cattails, so it's right. kind of inconspicuous. It takes a little bit of a trained eye to find it. Yeah. So but it's, the, yeah, it's easy to find once you, because it has this seed head that sticks out at a really stupid angle that d- d- just doesn't look like it should even be there. It's, it's right. just an odd angle. And then if you take a bit of the leaf and crush it and smell it, it's likely the most perfumey thing you'll ever smell in the wilderness. It's really? just got, so it's, so that makes it just so easily identifiable. And where to look for it? wherever there's native communities because they've yeah. taken it with them over the centuries and transplanted it. So it's followed them around. Because they use it for so much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's held in such high esteem. Yeah, so that's that's a tip See, on where to find one, it. That's exactly one of those ones that I've always heard about. Mm-hmm. I never knew. I knew it was a sedge. You can Google it because mm-hmm. I, I figured I, that's where I remember the Latin name. Right, right. It was because I Googled it once and found it, right? Um, but I could never 
I could never sort out where to find, like where exactly it was, what it looked like. And I could never figure mm-hmm. it out, but like, it's, that's awesome. I really appreciate that. That's really yeah, yeah, cool. No worries. And that, that'll yeah. last you. That's for me. Cause after you put, after you use it for your sickness, you can take it and dry it again and use it again. Oh, really? In fact, in fact, the piece there has actually had one tincture made from it already. Oh yeah. And uh, it'll probably make another tincture if you want, or just use it as it is, but it still has medicine. A tincture? Yeah, tincture is you, you soak it in uh, alcohol, okay. and that way you put drops under the tongue. So I li- what I like a tincture for is, let's say I feel a little bit of a strep throat coming on. Yeah. I take a few drops of that, and I just squirt it right on right on the afflicted part of the throat that I can feel the feel that strep throaty uh, feeling coming, and it's invariably, it's done. It's gone. One so or is two it just more acetosilic acid and a bunch of other stuff in there too? Or? I don't know. It's It's yeah. got a, a, a fresh root eight inches long is enough to kill you. Uh, oh. Fresh root, uh, f- half that will probably send you on a on a psychedelic trip, <laughs> uh, right? And and so it's, so it's a very powerful powerful plant. So what you're saying is don't pop this all in at the same. Oh time. no, <laughs> I mean it, it's it's dried, and so you could actually suck on the whole root and then, uh, whatever, but there's just no need. A piece about and it's brittle; it just breaks off really easy in this stage. Yeah, and it takes it because it's quite well dried. This it does take a while. I, I know because I was popped a piece of my mouth on the way over here yeah. and so it took about a half an hour before it finally started to get soft and i f- finally started getting the uh, uh it, it, most people find it doesn't taste great right uh, and some people it actually even burns their throat a little bit if they're not used to it if it's really fresh turkey stuff right but uh but it's, so do you usually want to dry it out or it doesn't really matter it's yeah no dry it out so it keeps yeah, yeah. it yeah. just keeps it's, better i guess yeah, but that doesn't right. change the properties no, of the dryer no okay no no we harvest a little bit i usually harvest a little bit every year to uh That's to awesome. up, yeah and give it away and help people that are sick yeah yeah, I would, yeah, I would love to. I should come out with you sometime and get you to oh, show yeah, me sure. this stuff because, like, there's, I, there's just an infinite amount of interest in my mind for like yeah. all. You know what I mean? Because I, yeah. I always find myself walking through the bush and I'll be, you know, I'll be listing off plant names and I'll be right, like, right. kind of in my Fresh head. I'm just kind of keeping, uh, keeping my mind fresh on what I'm seeing, right? And I'll be going through eco sites and like eco phase and just trying to keep my mind fresh on it. And then like that's the next step to right, like right what can I use this for? Right? right. So, right. Okay. Well, we should do, we should do a totally different one on that. Sure. sure. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> for now, I'll try, I try to keep these to like an hour just yeah, to yeah. keep people's interest or whatever. But like, okay. I don't, there's people who do three hour podcasts, but it, yeah. I also have, yeah. Yeah. We, we both also have other things to do sometimes. Right. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I noticed like, yeah. Yeah. Me just listening to them. It's like, you want to listen to it so bad, but you've got this much time. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 no, for sure. Um, okay, so I'll put up. I'll make sure to put up the uh, the websites. So okay. which which websites do you want me to throw up on the the Bush Skills one? And yeah, well, if you if you if you like, you could put up. Well, my website is kind of crappy. Well, I, I would put up the uh, the Global Bushcraft Symposium. Okay, I would put up uh, Caramat Wilderness Ways. Okay, that's Morris Kohansky and uh, and Randy and Laurie over there. Great yeah. folks for people who want to take courses. And you can put up mine if you want. It's crappy, but at least people can get a hold of me if they just out of interest or general inquiry or whatever and that's wildside.ca perfect yeah i'll throw those all up so caramat is just tamarack spelled backwards Ah. (laughs) so so caramat.com that's uh, randy and laurie and and morris kohansky perfect and uh, yeah that's probably enough that's awesome yeah and then because all those have links to all kinds of other sites too exactly yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. no i want to get i want to get you some plugs and get some more people out there because i think the more people that know about this stuff like the you know the bigger the community gets the more interesting it gets the more people learn it's just like a continuing cycle right right right. no this is awesome so yeah thanks a lot for coming on yeah this uh, this is a long time coming we've been trying to do this for i know it's it's six months i think i think it has been (laughs) six months yeah Yeah, we finally nailed it down so maybe we'll do another one in six months yeah yeah schedule it now yeah but yeah this is perfect i think we could do like any number of these and uh, okay. actually if i would appreciate it if like in your 
travels and you're talking to people if you think of something that would be you think oh, would yeah. be of interest to like yeah I, i'm sure you have a million people in mind yeah. already but well uh, you should you got to come to rat root rendezvous yeah because number one is you pick yourself a bunch of rat root yeah but number two is yeah you the, you'll you'll have you'll have your next couple of years worth of podcasts all mapped out because you can just wander around there and uh, tra- a trapper and naturalist and herbalist and mushroom expert and and morris himself and like, like oh, oh yeah, yeah. You, you, you you'd have enough fodder in fact you could probably bring your kit out there and do a couple podcasts <laughs> Thinking, there. I, 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 this is all like I, I just have the laptop, this thing, and, la- and this. But I think I'm going to set up. I'm going to try and buy like a more mobile unit, right? Yeah. Something that just like a handheld that I can just like give you a mic, give me a mic. We can sit down. Sure. I actually did one on the top of uh, Mount Solomon. Oh wow, in Anton, yeah, with, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know Rick Arthur. I don't know Why does that sound familiar? He's a. Uh, uh, He's, is he, he's not technically a fire ecologist, but you know the Mountain Legacy Project? Right, right. Yeah, so okay. he's he's running that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. he's been doing that for like the last 15 years or whatever. But we, cool. him and one of his uh, – or one of his – Summer students, uh, Sonia Voisu or Voisesu, I forget how you say her last name, but um, yeah, we did it right on the top of Mount Solomon. There, got dropped off in a helicopter, cool, and we cool. were sitting there, and it was like <laughs> looking over Brule Lake. It was awesome. So, and it worked out good. The audio right. was good, so I could totally do it outside. So, right. that's a, I think that's a cool idea. Is that where Ogre Canyon is too? That that peak? No, because uh, that also looks over I'm not Brule sure, Lake. Okay, it's like okay. it's right. It's it's um. You're not quite in the mountains. Like there's still one more big right, valley right, before right, you hit Brule right. Lake. Well, that sounds the, okay. 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 Yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah. Yeah, I don't know my map. Do, do, well. do, do you do you access it from um, from uh, Brule? You can you access it right from the highway. Oh, from the highway. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think there's actually when we when we landed, the helicopter took off, and about 45 minutes later, this woman came walking up. Right, and she's like, "Oh, I didn't see you guys on the trail." I'm like, "Oh yeah, we weren't on the trail. <laughs> <laughs> we cheated. That's a cheat." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it was cool. So no, that's perfect. Let's yeah, let's totally set that up. That's okay. a good idea. Yeah, you just said it just happened, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's usually the last or second last weekend in August. In August, depending okay. on how the the dates lay out. Yeah, that works out. It doesn't interfere with my elk hunting at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So that's good. Awesome, man. Well, this is perfect. Thanks a lot for coming. Okay. In. okay. Okay, thanks. And uh, yeah, let's do it again. Okay, cheers. Sweet. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. That was awesome, right? He knows so much stuff. We couldn't even, like, honestly, that was skimming the surface. Like, we just, I had so much in mind, and he, we just started talking about fire, and there's so much regarding fire that that just took over. But it's, a, it's an important one, so it was awesome. Um, yeah, if you guys have any questions, and I'm sure you do, uh, you can contact myself at yourforestpodcast at gmail.com. I'll make sure to get back to you. Or uh, you can get straight to Kelly through karamat.com. So it's tamarack.com backwards, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, you can contact him through there. And uh, yeah, hopefully that'll answer all your questions. Um, I'm excited to get him back on because there's so much more that I wanted to get to, but I don't want to overload you guys with like a seven-hour podcast. So uh, yeah, thanks a lot for listening, guys. We'll uh, check you out next time.